everybody? Matt Hofeld coming from South America. Rich DeCray coming from Central Oklahoma. <laughs> Welcome to a new episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. Um, hey, Rich, I know, I know you hate to talk about the weather, but I have to ask this question. Is it still raining in Oklahoma? Parts of it. <laughs> yes. Parts. Where, where uh, I'm at, no. Okay. I was, I was working with a group uh, from Arkansas like last week. And they were like, man, we need it to stop raining in Oklahoma so Arkansas will stop flooding. And I was like, I feel your pain, man. I feel your pain. Um, so let's, let's talk about some things. Uh, Lincoln Rally, uh, fat new contract. Um, we're going to talk about road games for Oklahoma this coming fall. Is CeeDee Lamb I, – I wonder, is CeeDee Lamb the best receiver in the conference? And you're wondering if he's not the best receiver in the nation. We'll, we'll jump into that. And uh, obviously there are still some question marks. Um, there are still some question marks moving forward uh, as kickoff approaches. So let, let's start with uh, Lincoln Riley. Um, what are some of the things that stood out most to you when you, when you break down his new contract with the University of Oklahoma? I honestly believe the, the number one thing you have to look at was the bump in pay scale, essentially. Over the course of 18 years, Matt, 18 years, you know how much Bob Stoops made when he decided to hang up the hat, call it quits, and pass those reins on to a younger guy a la Lincoln Riley? I mean, I know he made millions, but if you're going to ask me to give you a specific he did. dollar yeah, amount. Yeah, give me, the, give me so, the specific. That's what I'm looking for. So because uh, Bob Stoops, over, the course, over the course of an 18-year career at the University of No, no, of no. Oklahoma, not I'm not gonna, in total. Just what did he make in a single oh, year? What was his, oh, his oh, okay, final okay. pay number? What was the dollar amount? I'm going to say in 18 he was with years, Oklahoma. His, highest, his, his highest year, I'm going to guess, was in the neighborhood of five and a half million and that's just a total guess yeah because you no you totally cheated no Bob i Stoops swear made five i and swear half i didn't cheat. he made five and a half million dollars his last year with the oklahoma sooners lincoln riley comes in he's nowhere near 18 years on this coaching staff and he's set to make six million dollars this upcoming season so what i'm looking at the the most impactful thing really was this idea that surfaced through the college playoff and preparation for the college playoff that Lincoln Riley's name would be associated with some NFL job openings. We know that that is a possibility, especially when these NFL offensive coordinators and coaches are coming to Norman, Oklahoma, specifically to learn some of what Lincoln Riley has implemented at the university. It's a big draw there, and, and for good reason. But a lot of people thought that was leading to interest from the NFL in Lincoln Riley and potentially pulling him from that university. That's why Oklahoma came in just days behind the season-ending loss to Alabama in the college football playoff, where they upped that contract now that we have the details. We know it's $1.2 million, the largest bump in the program history for any coach. I think it says a lot about the value that Lincoln Riley has at the university. I think it says a lot about the talent and the skill that he has, not only in recruiting, but in the on the field product. 
Well, yeah, and here's the thing. When, when you're talking about money, uh, you, you you always look back at value. Like, what are you getting? What are you getting for six million dollars? And if you remember, you know, Bob Stoops had, you know, I, I think back to the 2009 season, one one of the seasons where we're 2005, 2009, 2012, where you think this team, you expected more from them than what you got on the field, and you always had those detractors. You always had that group of people who thought, okay, it's time for Bob to move on. It's time for Oklahoma to put some pressure on him. Uh, he's becoming complacent, and I get the whole Mike Stoops argument and so forth. But the, the flip side of the argument was always, who can you get that's better? Who, who can you get that can do a better job, right. win as consistently as what Bob Stoops has done? And, and I remember, you know, it, it wasn't too long ago you, you passed the keys off to Lincoln Riley. You know, two, you go back two years ago, and this spur-of-the-moment type decision, what it seemed, seemed like from the fan base, man, this is happening so quick. And, and you remember that the conversation was, can Lincoln Riley just maintain? Can he maintain what Bob Stoops accomplished through those 18 seasons, 18 seasons at the helm of this program? But the reality is not only has Lincoln Riley maintained, but he has bumped up. Uh, I mean, th th this program has taken a step forward. Uh, when, when you look at the you, you look at the stadium and what, what they've been able to do with stadium renovations. Uh, you, you look at the, the booster money that's coming in. You, you look at the recruiting that they're doing and the, the overall general perception and enthusiasm about this program. It is at, it is at a level in two years with Lincoln Riley that it, it's, it's exceeded what, what Bob Stoops did. And, and you go back and you know, you know, Bob Stoops played for championships. Okay. You, you know, he won in 2000. Uh, they lost the, the 2002 season. Uh, they lost 2003 or 2003, 2004 seasons that they lost the, those years, but they played again, you know, in 2008. So, so Bob Stoops had those runs at the national championship and in two seasons, you know, Lincoln Riley's had his team in position to make a run for the national championship, being that playoff, you know, he's a hundred percent right now as a head coach. And so you ask yourself, is he worth $6 million? The reality is when you look at the value that this man has to this program, the dollars that are coming in on on boosters, season tickets, and so forth, he's worth far more than six million dollars. This is a steal. I think it ranks him number nine in the country as far as head coaching. Uh, South, um, look, there, there's. I can tell you this: there's not eight other coaches in the country that I would take ahead of Lincoln Riley at this point. Here's what I really want to know when it comes to this contract, because. It was renegotiated. It's being labeled as an extension through 2023. Does it lock Lincoln Riley up at the university until 2023, potentially until 2021? Whenever that may be, does Oklahoma have Lincoln Riley for the long term? Do they have him regardless of this contract? Those are the questions that I'm, I'm extremely interested in seeing how they play out through the course of these next several years. I know Lincoln Riley has said he hasn't thought about jumping to the NFL, that it isn't really something that's on his radar, especially when you're getting similar pay at a college level. Now I know recruiting is a completely different game in and of itself that on the pro level, coaches aren't worried about. But at the same time, those questions still pop up for me when we look at Lincoln Riley, when we look at this extension or renegotiation, however you'd like to label that, does it truly lock Lincoln Riley up for the foreseeable future or will he midway through get a better offer?
Well, I, I think um, I think it, it's based on success. Lincoln Ride's one of the hottest coaches in college football because of his success on the field, because he was, he's done with quarterbacks. You know, look at Baker Mayfield, look at Kyler Murray, back-to-back Heisman Trophy winners, first time it's ever happened at the same position. So you've got that success on the collegiate level level he's not going to go from the university of oklahoma to any other college you're not going to see him jump over to florida you're not going to see him go to ohio state you know you always had those rumors with with bob stoops would he go back home would he go back and and coach the buckeyes would he i mean lincoln riley's home his roots are in lubbock texas he he's not going to leave the university of oklahoma to go home to lubbock texas that's just that's 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 not going to happen so his only his only jump would be from from OU to the NFL. And so now what you got to look at is you got to parallel what Lincoln Riley continues to do consistently on the field uh, with his athletes and what type of track record Cliff Kingsbury is able to have at Arizona in the NFL. And if you see Cliff Kingsbury two, three years from now, really having a ton of success with his offense at the pro level, you're going to start seeing those high-level offers come in to Lincoln Riley. So what OU essentially has done, you look at two things uh, when you're trying to lock in a coach. You look at salary. They've given him a $6 million base salary, plus the incentives that are there. So the first thing an NFL franchise is going to have to do is they're going to have to pay Lincoln Riley probably 8 to $10 million a year just to get his attention. And then the second thing you got to look at is what is the buyout of that contract? So you're, you're not just getting him for the eight to $10 million a year. You're getting him for the eight to $10 million a year, plus a $40 million buyout or whatever it happens to be towards the university of Oklahoma to buy out the remainder of that contract. That's why you see this locked in. And I, and I'm just going to say in the future, what happens is as far as Lincoln Riley continue to have success and you watch Cliff Kingsbury, if Cliff Kingsbury continues to have success, you're going to see, you're going to see this contract renegotiated probably again in two years, because I think there's, there's, there's solid potential. He'll be back to the playoffs, Lincoln Riley, at least one more time in the next two seasons. And there's also solid potential that Cliff Kingsbury is going to have some success if both of those two things happen if, if cliff kingsbury wins six to eight games next season if he puts them on the cusp of the playoffs his second season you're going to see this contract renegotiated again at an even higher number good points matt as always i know as an oklahoma fan the one thing that we look at is stability and i i definitely think that lincoln riley brings that to the table and that stability in and of itself warrants a contract extension or a renegotiation of the contract. I agree with you. If that stability of producing Heisman contending players, whether that's at the quarterback position or elsewhere, the fact that you're producing them says quite a bit about the development of these players while they're under your watch, while they're at your university in your strength and conditioning program, as well as learning the X's and O's of the game. Needless to say, it's also lending a hand, Matt, as you mentioned, to that college football playoff because everybody wants to contend for the national championship. There have only been a handful of teams who have even made that college football playoff, which is crazy to think because we've had several years of that at this point, and it hasn't been a huge turnover in the teams that are making appearances there. Now, some of these teams have swapped out here and there with others and then have rejoined 
that group of four. If Oklahoma can sustain that level of competitiveness on the national scene, not just in the Big 12, it's, it's going to be extremely hard to pull Lincoln Riley from the college ranks. As you said, again, I'm piggybacking here because they will continuously see the value that he brings to the university and continue to bump that number up. Now, granted, his base salary is only 325000 I believe, from the university, and the rest comes from, from funding, whether that's private or whether that is donors. So the money's right. there. They're going to give that to Lincoln Riley. Like I said, for me, it comes down to, to that stability at the university. Plus the fact that you're not seeing any infractions committed by this current coaching staff. You're not seeing any penalties doled out by the NCAA towards the Oklahoma Sooners. Those are positive things. Yeah, for sure. And here's the other way you can always tell uh, kind of the value of your coach. You look at uh, you look at Texas, you look at Oklahoma State, you even look at, you know, go to the SEC, you look at Texas A&M, uh, go out west and you look at USC and you see not necessarily well, with Texas, you see it coming from the program, but with the other other ones I mentioned, you see it coming from fan bases where they really dog. Uh, I mean, the, the only the only the only way you can dog Lincoln Riley at this point, the only way you can bag on him, is to say, hey, you can't win the game that our program can't even get to. You know, what what what's what are they saying negative about Lincoln Riley? Well, you've been in the playoffs twice and you're 0-2 in the playoffs. Well, okay, Texas, when's the last time you were in the playoffs? Oh, wait, that's never. Texas AM, when did you get there? Never. Uh, that's how about you talk about conference championship games if you're Texas AM before you start talking about playoffs. And so when the only negative thing a, a, another fan base can say about your head coach is that he can't win the playoff games that your that that own f- f- fan base can't get their program to that knows you're sitting pretty good when, when those are the only things that come in negative about, about your program. He's rich. I'm Matt. You're listening to Sooner Nation, the online podcast for Heartland sports. Heartland-sports.com is where you can find us. Uh, we'll talk receivers in just a second. Okay, Rich. So I got us out of order. Uh, going into that break. I said, we were going to talk receivers. Really the, the next thing on our, uh, on our agenda is the schedule. So I, I put us out of order. So I'm gonna let you that's choose. Okay. Do you want to, do you no, want to hold me to my word and then talk receivers or, or, or you want to, okay. Um, so you, you've got this idea that CD lamb is, uh, is going to be a front runner for the Blitnikoff coming into the season. I can't really dispute that, but what I can say is that, Probably, if, I, I don't know. I, if you were to look at the the ten best receivers in the in the across the country, preseason. I mean, we're, here we are in in June. I would say the Big Twelve probably has three of the ten, thirty percent. In and Ceedee Lamb is pretty good right there in, in the, that three. So I mean, of those three, give me your thoughts. What, what are you thinking about with Ceedee Lamb? Here's really the thought for me with Ceedee Lamb is let let's talk about the Belenikov Award individually right now as it stands it's going to be a really really hard sell towards jerry judy who was the previous winner of the award i know that he was a sophomore he's going to be a junior at alabama he's retaining the same quarterback who judy became the favorite target of to attack of iloa needless to say i i know heading into the season he's going to be the odds on favorite when you look at a guy who is trying to compete who is trying to set himself apart, or who is trying to pull that award away from Jerry Judy. Now, Matt, I know you're going to talk about Tylen Wallace, Oklahoma right. State, a finalist there in 2019, but you have to look at Jerry Judy and Tylen Wallace. 
were the top targets on their respective teams. CeeDee Lamb was not that for Oklahoma. He was that number two option playing behind. I shouldn't say playing behind because they played alongside each other, but Hollywood Brown was the top target. He was the one that had the home run threat that everybody tuned into and everybody was consistently aware of, which certainly opened things up for CeeDee Lamb. But heading into this season, Lamb is the go-to target. He's the biggest receiver strength-wise on the field for the University of Oklahoma. He's the most experienced receiver on the field for the University of Oklahoma. And they're going to depend on him quite a bit. I can only imagine that his number is called just as much as and far beyond that from this past season, elevating his game to a level where I do think he cements himself as a finalist for the Bolitnikoff Award. Whether he wins that, that that will be up for debate throughout, excuse me, throughout the duration of the season because of some of these, well, I've only thrown out two names, but specifically because Jerry Judy is still a college football player. Right. Well, I agree. I think when you when you're talking about the best receivers in the country, I think you you do start with Jerry Judy. Not only is he the defending winner of the the Blitnikoff Award, but uh, when we're let's just mention the ones you know we've talked about. We've talked about Ceedee Lamb. We've talked about Tylen Wallace. We've talked about Jerry Judy. Of that three, Jerry Judy's the only guy who's working with the same quarterback from last season. And so I think you start there. You've got that continuity. You've got that relationship. You've already established. You said it that he was you know he was uh, to his favorite receiver. Um, you know, Jalen Rager, I think, is a, is a super talented receiver down at CCU, but again, a new quarterback. So how does, that, how does that affect things? And so then I go to me, my, when I'm talking about nationally, I look at guys like T. Higgins from Clemson, Justin Ross from Clemson. Those guys, again, same quarterback, same chemistry. So, I mean, look, if you're asking me, is, is CeeDee Lamb one of the top receivers in the country? Absolutely, 100%. He he's super athletic. He's he's a he's got great hands. He's he's more than a possession receiver. He's got deceptive speed. But I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I, when you talk about the numbers that they're going to place, here's what's working against him is see I don't I don't agree with you that he's probably the biggest and the strongest receiver even on this roster because I look at Grant Calcaterra and I, and I think about how big is that guy? How strong is that guy? And and then you 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 have got all these you got this this group of a freshman that's going to come in and, and play that role. You got Charleston Rambo who's going to see his role improve. And I just I guess what I'm saying is I I cannot 100% tell you right now that C.D. Lamb will be the top receiver for the University of Oklahoma. Doesn't mean he's not a great receiver. And honestly, it doesn't mean mean he's not the top receiver in the nation. But I, he's not – I don't know if, – if you maybe put up money right now, who's going to have better stats, CeeDee Lamb or Jerry Judy? My money is on Jerry Judy. And, and the same thing Even, with Tylen Wallace. I mean, I mean, look, uh, look, Oklahoma State's breaking in a new quarterback as well. But Tylen Wallace, you know he is going to be the go-to guy. There's nobody else on that roster that's going to rival what Tylen Wallace is going to bring. Oklahoma is so deep and talented at the receiver position, it's going to take away balls from CeeDee Lamb. And I think ultimately that's going to hurt him when you talk about his award. Here's the thing, Matt. Go ahead. You could say the same about Jerry Judy. When we want to to rank the top 10 receivers, you've mentioned two 
out of Clemson, one out of Oklahoma State, one out of Oklahoma, and, and one out of Alabama. But Jerry Judy isn't the only receiver on this Alabama roster who's capable of putting up monster numbers. If we wanted to go down the list, you have Jalen Waddell out there, a sophomore who should, in theory, make this big jump, or maybe he's going to be a junior, and I've got that confused. But outside of that, you also have to look at the third option, which is Henry Ruggs III. There are three legitimate options who are going to contend for playing time, who are going to contend for the lion's share of those receptions on the Alabama roster just in the starting lineup. No, I, I agree. But but again, it's to me, it's the Tylen Wallace situation. If you're if you're Oklahoma State, right, and and you have to you have to complete a pass. It doesn't I don't know what you you pick this situation. It's fourth and goal or it's fourth and ten. You're gonna lose <laughs> the game if you don't catch this pass. If so you're you throw Oklahoma up the State, little Jordan Humphrey. <laughs> if you're Oklahoma State, you want that ball going to Tylen Wallace. If you're Jerry Judy, you want – I mean, if you're Alabama, you want that ball going to Jerry Judy. If you're Oklahoma, honestly, Rich – Here I mean, we go. About it. Here we go. No, seriously. Uh, if it goes to Grant Calcaterra or CeeDee Lamb, does it matter? Because both of those guys, you look at their careers and look at the clutch catches that they have – that they've racked up during their careers. You see, you see what I'm saying? There, there's no, there's nobody on on Alabama's roster who compares to Jerry Judy the same way Grant Calcaterra compares to Ceedee Lamb. Same thing with Oklahoma State. There's no one on that roster who compares to Tylen Wallace the same way Grant Calcaterra compares to Ceedee Lamb. That's the point yeah, I'm making. And he, the, Judy and Wallace are clear cut, clear cut number one receivers. I don't know that you can say that about Ceedee Lamb and Grant Calcaterra. Uh, again, it's not a, it's not a knock on the the talent level. Okay, it's not even close to being a knock on the talent level. It's it's actually in favor of the talent level. How much these guys actually bring in, how deep this receiving core is for Oklahoma. That's all I'm saying. The Big Twelve is stacked with receivers this year. I, I think I think the ACC probably probably has close to the same level of receivers that the big 12 brings and that's just because clemson is so talented but when you look across the board between wallace and rager and and cd lamb and grant calcaterra i don't think there's a conference in the country that that's going to bring the type of quality receivers and explosive big play guys that the big 12 is going to bring and again i feel like that's something that that could hurt cd lamb i don't disagree with you entirely but the small inkling in me does and, and the part that I'm disagreeing with is who is the the clear cut receiver on this Oklahoma team. I don't see Oklahoma using a tight end in a different capacity. And in fact, while we love Grant Calcaterra, there's someone else on the roster, Matt, that we've consistently talked about. Well, at least I have as a guy that I just don't know how Oklahoma keeps him off the field. And that's Austin Stogner. Guess what? He plays that tight end position as well. Now, I'm not expecting Oklahoma to go with two tight ends in a set at any time in the near future. Maybe they do. Maybe they mix things up. But the reality for me is the tight end role has has played this um, hybrid kind of role for Oklahoma. It's not a traditional tight end position. And I just don't see them using that tight end position more than they have in previous years. 
Well, I look at it. I think Stogner. I think you can you can make a, a good parallel between Stogner, what the se- the type of season he potentially is going to have in 2019, to the type of season that Calcaterra had in 2017. You know, he's working with Mark Andrews, who was clearly the number one in that tight end receiver position. Uh, Mark Andrews had a lot of talent. You knew you knew the guy was gone to the NFL. You weren't going to get four years out of him on campus, but it was okay because you had Grant Calcaterra who made big plays as a freshman and you like, man, I can't wait to see this guy take the role full time. I think this year will parallel that in that you're going to see, you're going to see Calcaterra be that main guy, but you're going to see enough of Austin Stogner to go. Yeah. Off to the NFL after this season, but that's okay because we can't wait to see Austin Stogner take this role full time. I, I, I don't think he's going to detract more anymore from the type of season Calcaterra is going to have to the, to what Calcaterra did to Mark Andrews as a freshman. Here's all I'm saying is that I fully believe, and I've bought into this idea. It's why I brought it up. It's why I sent it to you as a topic idea. I have fully bought into the idea that CeeDee Lamb is the go-to receiver at the University of Oklahoma. I have fully bought into the idea that he will be the best receiver in the Big 12. Not only is he going to be the best receiver, but he's also, in my opinion, the most NFL-ready receiver body wise yeah. strength wise you disagree with that too huh three, i mean i get you know, i'm looking at okay all right i was okay, just go gonna ahead. say Sorry. three i have fully bought into the idea that when <laughs> these finalists um lists roll out cd's lamb will cd lamb's name will be one of the three listed there okay i mean I, again I, I go all the way back to the very beginning of this conversation i can't say you're wrong but I can say, I mean, even, I mean, if I'm an NFL exec, yes, I love what I see in CD Lamb. I also love what I see in Grant Calcaterra. I, I just, I don't know. I mean, I, there's just Man, so even, much comparison. Even at 225 as a tight end. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. They're they're gonna look at they're gonna look at speed. They're gonna look at hands, and they're gonna say. Yeah, but gonna, I gonna I want to know how does he block. Well, I mean, What's the same thing. That, perfection ability. But but think back to that was the knock on Mark Andrews. I, mm-hmm. I think Baltimore has zero regrets and Mark Andrews. I mean, it, it goes back. You know, we, we talked about – think about it. Um, we're, we're going so far off the beaten path of this conversation. But remember, you know, late March, early April, we're talking about the NFL draft, and we're talking about the success Baker Mayfield had as a short quarterback and how that was going to benefit Kyler Murray mm-hmm. because people see the stereotype. They see the success. They're going to look at, at Mark Andrews in Baltimore – Grant Calcaterra is the exact same, you know, mold. He's got a, he's got a big frame. He's got good speed. He's got great hands. He runs crisp routes. Can he block? Well, we, we don't really know the potential of that, but they're going to look at that frame where they're going to say, we can put muscle on this guy. We can put more mass on him. And they're going to look at the success that Mark Andrews has had with Baltimore. And they're going to say, we can do the exact same thing with this kid. And so they're going to take him. Right. And I don't want it to sound like I'm rooting against the guy. Like Grant, yeah. Calcaterra. Why do you why do you I'm hate just, Grant Calcaterra so much? I'm you just, just pointing him. out some. I'm just pointing out some of the weaknesses, some of the things when we talk about NFL readiness, some of the things that could be a detractor from the the skill set that you've already pointed out. If someone wants to point out a weakness, I I think they're going to continuously hit on this idea of can he pick up a pass rush? I'm not saying that he can't, but it's going to be a question that these NFL decision makers do ask. 
Well, I mean, but I see what you're saying. But tight ends don't really pick up pass rush. I mean, they'll they'll chip and, and roll out. But the, the 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 bigger question is, can he move? Can he move in the next level on on a run blocking? Uh, that's that's kind of what you're getting at. And and I totally get that. But again, I think there's a track record of success for guys like that. He's Rich. I'm Matt. You listen to Sooner Nation, the online podcast for Heartland Sports. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. We're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about Oklahoma's road schedule. Okay, Rich, we got into this a bit, um, last week uh, talking about the road schedule for Oklahoma. And, and the way we got into it was we're talking about non-conference games uh, between Houston and UCLA. And you said at the time, um, and I don't know if your opinion has changed or not, um, you said at it the time that, that UCLA, <laughs> was, in, your, in your opinion, was a, a tougher game than Houston. I strongly disagree with that. So when you, when you look at the, the road schedule for the University of Oklahoma, What's true? True, true road game is what what I want us to look at here, Matt. Because see, I feel like that's a misleading stat because I know where you're going to go, but you know where we'll go ahead and go where you're going to go, and I'm going to tell you. No, no, no. Take it away. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I want to look at the the true road games and pick out on this this Oklahoma schedule. What is the one true road game? Because I know that you can look at. Oklahoma and Houston, you can look at um, the postseason as well and potential pairings that are on a neutral site. You mm-hmm. can even look at Oklahoma and Texas, which falls there in what, October, October 12th right. is what we're looking at. You could pick that as a, as a road game, but I think those are just far too easy to pick. That's why I, I wanted to single out a true road game and discuss which one of these, when we look at the schedule, of the true road games, are there any potential pitfalls for Oklahoma, or will Oklahoma do what they've done for quite some time now? Uh, I mean, for me, it's it's October fifth at Lawrence, Kansas. No, it's not. Total lies. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I look at this schedule honestly. My my big fear when I look at you're talking about road games only. I mean, Oklahoma's perennially a a strong opponent at home. But you think about their last regular season loss was to Iowa State at home, but whatever. Um, no, yeah, last regular season Matt, home loss was at, was yep. against Iowa State. They lost uh-huh. to Texas last year, but again, that doesn't count for some reason because it's not a true road game. Um, <laughs> Matt, do for you, me, I, here's, here's where I'm going with this because you're going to make me spit this out before I want to. Do you know the last time Oklahoma lost a true road contest? But see, this is where I disagree with you. Go ahead and say okay. it. I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. The the last true road contest they lost was in Fort Worth, at the hands of TCU, the Horned Frogs. But see, I don't. I, what you? Yeah, that, but that's not wrong. That's not right because they <laughs> played. Here, look. Here, here's the thing. This is why this is a misleading stat because they they lost to Houston to open the 2017 season. And the only reason they're not counting that as a true road game was because it was played at Reliance Stadium instead of wherever the Houston Cougars, I don't know the name of their stadium, Mm -hmm. but that's a a true road game. You're going to Houston to play Houston. I don't care where that game is played. If you could play it in a high school stadium, that's a road game. If you're playing an opponent in their hometown – it's a road game. It's like Oklahoma has the same benefit, you know, when they do that all-college classic. That that counts as a neutral game field. But you, you, do you feel like Wichita State, when they came to Oklahoma City to play the Sooners, do you feel like they thought, oh, guys, hey, this is a neutral game, man. We, we got this. There's no home crowd advantage or anything. 
it's, it's a misleading stat that's put out there to make your program look. I mean, I well, get it. It's I all like about it. cosmetics. I, I look on on a tweet. But, it looks great, but the reality here, is they lost at Houston on the road. And and Matt, I see your point, but at the same time, is you got to look at at the fact that they went into Columbus, Ohio, where yeah, people yeah, actually have season tickets. And not very many of them were given to Oklahoma Sooner fans. They gave Ohio right. State not only a run for their money, but they played the flag at midfield. Gosh darn it. We look at a team who <laughs> went to Ohio State. We, went, we look at a team who went to Notre Dame, who was at South Bend. There are some, some major contests. I mean, I, I like the Florida State win back in the day. I say back in the day because that seems like forever ago now. But since 2014, I believe Notre Dame was one of those teams. I know Ohio State was one of those teams. You most likely get a UCLA win here. And that one, is, is that a true, a true road game? Yeah, you're going to Los Angeles. So to, right, in the me, Coliseum? I think it. I think it just. What the? I think UCLA plays at the Rose Bowl, but um, USC. Oh plays yeah, at the yeah. Coliseum. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. But yeah, thanks for but, that correction. <laughs> to, I just to me I, again, I don't care where that game is played. You're going to Los Angeles to play a game. It's a true road game. Okay. Spirit of your conversation. To me, two games stand out on this schedule. It's it's October. Excuse me, November sixteenth at Baylor and November thirtieth with Bedlam. It doesn't matter, you know, Bedlam's become one of those games. It doesn't matter how good Oklahoma is or how mediocre or how good Oklahoma State is. This game is has been increasingly uncomfortable for Oklahoma fans. I mean, last year, think, think about how good OU was last year. And they're a failed two-point conversion away from possibly not even making the Big 12 championship, possibly not even making the playoffs against an Oklahoma State team that was – to me, far inferior to Oklahoma. So to go to Stillwater, this this rivalry has grown to the point. Mike Gundy has got that program to the point that anytime you go to Stillwater, you just kind of like, ah, you know, I hate this part. And and I've already told you how I feel about Matt Rule and Baylor. So to me, those are the two ones that really stand out. And if you made me pick one, it's going to be Bedlam. I completely agree with you about Bedlam. Just to piggyback a little bit there, Baylor's that team that's on the rise right now and i think they may be one of the most dangerous teams because these powerhouse teams within the conference the usual competitors the usual suspects who are competing for that conference crown are going to potentially overlook a team like baylor and the talent that they have on the roster now we've singled out uh brewer as the quarterback there and the progress that he's made and looking at him you labeled him as one of the better or one of the best quarterbacks in the conference. If that progression right. continues, teams are going to struggle to contain the talent that he has and the ability that he has to to pressure, but not only pressure, to make them pay when mistakes are made. I, I'm pegging the exact same two games that you have with Bedlam being that number one and, and Baylor being that number two option. Yeah, and here's the thing about Baylor. It's later in the season, so you, you always got to worry about injuries. You also look at teams that get better as the season progresses. I believe Baylor is going to be one of those teams. But in year three of Matt Rule, they're, they're going to be looking for that marquee win uh, in the conference. And there's only two targets when really – I mean, we're talking about the Big 12 right now as it stands. There's two targets when you're talking about a marquee win. It's Oklahoma and it's Texas. 
I'm not for sure where they play the Longhorns this year, but I do know for a fact Oklahoma goes to Waco, and because of that, they're going to be amped. They're, they're, and, and there's a chance, uh, based on what Baylor does late in the season, there's a chance this becomes a night game. All kinds of possibilities come out of the way. You know, Baptists get crazy after dark. How would you know? <laughs> I'm totally teasing. <laughs> totally teasing on that one, Matt. All right, so let's let's go to our uh, our final topic here. Kind of start wrapping this thing down. Uh, you listen to the Sooner Nation podcast, uh, Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com uh, is where you can find this. Um, I, I I just want to throw this out there. We don't have to have a lot of discussion on it, Rich, but when you when you look at you know dog days of summer, the program's about to go into that quiet phase where they really can't reach out to recruits. Only strength and conditioning coaches are are able to talk and, and work with the kids that are on campus right now. What's the one thing that the biggest thing right now that you say, this is what I'm worried about uh, as August 31st, September 1st approaches? Um, I, I think this, this one's probably going to fly under the radar. I brought this up a long time ago, Matt. When you uh, I know where you're talks. going. And I agree. Yep, I know where you're going and I agree. It was something that you didn't even think of at that point in time. Now, there are some strong candidates that I wanted to throw out first and foremost before I announced my quote-unquote winner, because you can talk about the losses along the offensive line, replacing four starters and hoping that that becomes one cohesive unit that can propel this team offensively. You can talk about the struggles along the defensive line, the additions that were made there, the depth and the quality of depth that is there along the defensive line. But the, the number one thing that I'm still concerned about as we head into the dog days of summer, as you so eloquently put that, eloquently is probably the proper word. Um, <laughs> it's special teams, and it's specifically kicking. Right. Yeah. I know my mic, I think, just cut out, um, but I'm going to keep talking anyway. When I'm looking at what Oklahoma loses there, when you have one guy who fills all of the duties, it is that question of who is going to jump in Who's going to become the leader of the pack? Who's going to become the front runner? And can they continue to be successful? And the reason I ask that question is because how many times have we seen that it's vital for us to flip the field? Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that ability, especially with some of these quick strike offenses that we see here in the Big 12, that can hurt you tremendously. I mean, no one wants to go out and, and just lay down a 10 yard punt. We've seen it happen, we've seen how costly. It can be, but man, that's one area of concern. It's an area that nobody really talks about until it becomes a concern. A missed field goal here, a shanked punt there. Things can quickly spiral downward depending on the play of the special teams, specifically dependent upon the play of the kickers. No, that, that's a great point. I feel like it, it continues to be an overlooked point even post-spring ball. I can't take it because you did, although I agree 100% with you. If you, oh, made me you can pick double one, up. No, I'm, I'm going to go different just for the sake of conversation because if you made me pick one position group, obviously I, you look at the whole defense and that's a question mark. But I, I look at the defensive line, I see a lot of potential. Um, I look at the linebackers, he's, even without Caleb Kelly, I still, I still like the potential that's there. I still have huge, huge question marks about this defensive secondary, uh, particularly the safeties and uh, and what they're going to do. You know, uh, you know what, what's Buki's role going to be? 
I feel like of, of any any position group on the defense, the the one that has the most to prove is at the the in the secondary spot. And so to me, just just by that again, there's potential. But I I you know you've heard me talk about heart and 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 the willing uh, to to get punched in the face and get up and and not not you know not back down and. I didn't see that a whole lot from this from this position group last year or the year before or the year before. And and I think that's going to be, you know, I, I like Roy Manning. I like what he's doing. Uh, I love his energy and enthusiasm. Man, he, he's got a job. He's got a job cut out for him. And so does Alex Grinch with his defense, but more specifically in the secondary. And that's what that's what I, I that's why I'm worried about Houston. Honestly, that's why I feel like Houston's a bigger struggle than UCLA because of the potential of uh, of disaster with this secondary it scares me how fundamentally bad they were last year and this year they're going to go for the ball first this year they're going to really focus on takeaways when they're already fundamentally bad uh there i feel like there's there's the risk significant risk of big plays in this houston game and i think that's why to me it's more of a of a bothersome game even though it's at home than going to los angeles and playing UCLA. That's it for us. We're going to wrap it up. Uh, he's Rich. Uh, I'm Matt. You're listening to Sooner Nation, the online podcast for Heartland Sports. Heartland-sports.com is where you can find us. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear your feedback. Leave your uh, comments uh, in the comments se- section. Hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Let us know where you agree or disagree. Let us know what we're missing out on. Hit us up with your, your topics and your conversation pieces. Uh, we record every week, usually on Tuesday, but hey, South America calls, and, and this week it was on Wednesday. Wherever your week takes you guys, have a fantastic one. Boomer Sooner.